0: Hardwood Knox listeners, happy Thanksgiving week slash almost Thanksgiving in general from the Hardwood Knox podcast to you. I am Dan Pavali coming at you with my super duper incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous spectaculario is snowed in but still podcasting because he loves it. Co host Andrew D. Bailey. We have the second part of the We Hate Your Team series, but we actually don't hate your team. This is just the biggest concern for every Eastern Conference squad that we each have moving forward. Before we get to it, though, we have the usual housekeeping notes. First and foremost, please continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. You can still find us wherever else you consume your podcast, Uh, Stitcher. Spotify, Google Play, all that good stuff. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there and that you are listening. Leave a review. We're going to do a mailbag. we we'll are asking you to leave the questions in the review soon. So if you want to get a head start, we do promise to answer every single question that comes in through the review section. And you're probably tired of us begging for you to subscribe and rate us and review us, but it comes from a good place. If you've done all those things, then, again, help promote us, retweet the pod on Ooh, excuse me there. Retweet the pod on Twitter as I knock stuff over. Just give a shout outs. anything you could do. Also, follow us on YouTube as well, Hardwood Knocks. Just youtube.com slash Hardwood Knocks or search Hardwood Knocks on YouTube. We're trying to get that up and running there as well. Follow Hardwood Knocks on Twitter also at Hardwood Knocks. Andy can be found at Andrew D. Bailey on Twitter. I am at Dan Favelli, F-A-V-A-L-E. And as always, be remember to follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. You can check out all my fire tweets over there in addition to promos for all the other great podcasts that we have over at this network. My final housekeeping note is that we'll be back to multiple episodes per week after this Thanksgiving hiatus-ish thing is over. We were busy the previous week when we gave you the Western Conference We Ate Your Team series and we're both equally busy slash we know it's the holiday season now, but we will be back to two episodes at least per week shortly. Do not worry for the half or dozen or so People that care. Andy, after listening to all that, how are you doing?
1: I'm uh, doing great, and I think you undersold us significantly there. It's got to be at least one full dozen. Do
0: you think? Maybe a baker's dozen even? Should we be like super optimistic?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with that. Let's go with a baker's dozen. I like that.
0: All right, so for all 13 of you who care we have not <laughs> dropped multiple episodes over the past two weeks, fear not. It won't stay that way. Eastern Conference concerns, though. Are you uh? Are you ready to get into this with our traditional reverse alphabetical order? It's not really tradition because uh, we change it up all the time. And you suggested you suggested an order of ascending net rating, which I think we have to do at some point now.
1: Yeah, we've we've got to try that um, eventually. I don't want to throw us too far off our game right off the bat today, though. So I'm ready for reverse of the alphabetical order.
0: Um, and that starts with me as we go to the the Washington. It's Wiz- gonna
1: be for a while. Spoiler
0: alert. Oh, is it? I didn't even really, that didn't compute. <laughs> and I picked the teams this time. So that that's on me. I just wanted everyone to hear my voice in succession. We start with the Washington Wizards, who are five and nine at this recording. For me, it was a little bit tough to find a genuine concern just because I'm still kind of in the mode of, holy crap, the Wizards are second in points scored yeah. per 100 possessions. I think the thing to really watch for, though, is how Troy Brown Jr. kind of comes along, I don't feel like we've seen that much from him. I know he was dealing with the calf injury to start the season, but he kind of had these high hopes coming out of summer league and they, they haven't really translated. Uh, He's shot 61.5% out of the pick and roll and spot duty there. So that's good, but I'm not sure how many of those touches he's going to get, not just the rest of this season, but moving forward when you're factoring in uh, John Wall playing next to Bradley Beal. And then, you know, does Isaiah Thomas come back? They won't have his bird wife, probably not, but he has to be more of a compliment on the offensive end. And he just hasn't been there. He's shooting 33.3% on catch and shoot threes. He's been benched for Jordan McRae down the stretches of, of, key games or just for, just for key minutes. And so again, I know he's sort of working his way back from an injury, but when you just look at where these guys were drafted or, or how they got them, aside from Rui Hachimura, you would think that Troy Brown Jr. is supposed to be their second most promising prospect, but you know, you know, Mo Wagner's right there right now. And so you can even argue at this point that maybe Isak Bonga is just a little bit more intriguing than than Troy Brown Jr. So I'm just looking to see what the Wizards get out of him for the rest of this year. Can he improve his jump shot or just be more of an offensive compliment? He has some nice length on defense. I think he has a six ten wingspan and he's a pretty good defensive rebounder for his size is he just going to be able to to stay on the floor for them or are they going to continue to favor some of these other players
1: first off i i had no idea until about 20 seconds ago that it's pronounced isak bonga
0: yes that was uh there was something about that i'm not going to take credit That's... for knowing that but it's i stumbled across it Some people were talking about it. i think it was um one of the athletics podcast it might have been nerder she wrote because i remember mo that trader um discussing it with <laughs> I believe it was Seth Partnow and Dave DeFour. So that's that's where I learned that that was the correct pronunciation of his name. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to pretend to have watched every single Wizards game or every single isak Bonga game, but I'm pretty sure announcers have
1: been getting it wrong for quite some time. Yeah, I would have I would have just assumed it was Isaac. Here's his full name. Isaac Ivalu e- Etu Bofenda Bonga. Can you say that 10 times fast? No, I cannot. Um I I think that's you know that's a totally valid concern for the Wizards. I'm like you, it's kind of hard to pick a concern for this team because I think we expected them to be awful and they're they're actually better than I would have expected. They're certainly better on offense. If I had to pick a concern, I guess it would probably be the defense, but again, this is just a super young team that's uh I don't think anybody could have expected them to be good defensively, but I do think it's kind of funny um if you look at I don't I don't know how much time you've spent looking at 538's new Raptor rating um but it's supposed to be like a new catch-all box plus minus type of a deal but this one includes box score numbers um on-off numbers tracking data it's it's very involved and the bottom 10 defensive raptor ratings the worst one is Isaiah Thomas no surprise there he's a wizard Rui Hachimura <laughs> Rui Hachimura has the fourth worst, and then Bradley Beal has the 10th worst. Um, so not not that we could have expected them to be good defensively, but if I was going to be nitpicky and say, you know, this is something that they certainly need to work on, I, I think defense would obviously be one for them.
0: Moving on to the Raptors, though, I think yours is a valid concern as well. I was just trying to be just a little bit more specific, but yeah. to the generalize their has has not been good. But at the same time, it's like almost who cares if you're going to be second in offensive efficiency. They're they're tied yeah. in terms of you know, they're basically dead even. Their winning percentage is lower than the Orlando Magic, but uh they're both the Orlando Magic and Wizards are both four games under five hundred. So they're right in that line right now to compete for the eighth seed in the East. And that's I think that's a genuine surprise for a team that many thought could arguably be the worst team in, in the East. I know the Knicks were receiving a lot of shine there and as were the Cavs, but I think the Wizards were mentioned in that discussion as well.
1: And I, I think there's a chance they still end up there. <laughs> Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see their offense come back down to earth a little bit, but this is—I I don't think there's many people who aren't surprised by how well they've been playing offensively.
0: I'm very interested to see who tries to trade for Davis Bertans at the deadline this year, because I feel like there are going to be a lot of teams that try to do it, and he's going to be a free agent. So if you're the
1: Wizards, it might make sense to sell yeah. high if you can. Yeah, he's—he's he's good, man. That—that that deal by the Spurs continues to flummox me. Yeah, well, that it was—they wanted Marcus Morris and he pulled the dip which i don't even get that I'd, I'd much rather have davis Bertans than marcus morris but i felt like i was kind of alone in that one i think for what they needed i
0: probably would have rather have had marcus morris but obviously hindsight you would have rather have had davis Bertans, and certainly rather have davis Bertans than neither marcus morris or davis
1: Bertans. Yeah. yeah that's for sure
0: <laughs> the toronto raptors are 12 and 4 as we record this they were another team that i had a at a tough time pinpointing a concern just because they're getting so many good contributions on the margins. I talked about this on Twitter for a minute the other day. I still have PTSD from Rondae Hollis Jefferson from his time with the Brooklyn Nets, but he's played so well for them finishing well at the rim. He's been, he's been good defensively. His offensive rebounding is all of a sudden a thing. Injuries can certainly be a concern for this team, but they're performing so well in spite of them. And almost, I just felt a little cheap going that route. Like, of course you want Kyle Lowry, Lowry healthy, but to this point, with all the adversity they've, they've had to navigate, including losing Kawhi Leonard over the offseason, they're giving me these vibes of, hey, we can come out of the East. And so what I'm going to zero in on is Marcus Saul's two-point shooting. Uh, he is shooting 25.5% on twos among every single player who qualified for the minutes-per-game leaderboard, according to basketball reference, in recorded history, and has attempted at least three two-point shots per game. Marcus'als twenty five point five percent clip inside the arc is the second worst of all time. So
1: that is staggering. I I had no idea he was shooting twenty five and a half percent from two. That's unreal.
0: Yeah. So among everyone in recorded history who has <laughs> oh ever averaged at least three two point attempts per game, his twenty five point five percent clip is the second lowest ever. Now, there are some caveats. I think he's going to come out of it. And that's correct. The other thing that I also want to note is that the Raptors are winning by a significant margin, the minutes that Gasol plays without Siakam. His defense has been fine. He can still really pass the ball. He's shooting well from three. I guess my more overarching concern is I do think that they're going to need a more aggressive offensive version of Mark Gasol at some point, even when Kyle Lowry is healthy. We saw that they needed it at times during the playoffs last year. And so I think it's important, even though he's had a couple of better games over the past couple of weeks, the volume just isn't always there and I'm not saying he needs to have 25% usage but he has 12.3% usage right now and I just think you need a more involved Marcus on the offensive end to be the best version of yourself. I again, I feel stupid just saying this because of what he's done on defense. We're recording this right after he basically just stole Joel Embiid's lunch money uh, in in the Raptors victory over the Sixers. So, it's not something that as if we had to rank all the concerns on this list, this might be among my lowest because I believe he'll come out of it, but it's it's certainly something to watch because now we're 16 games into the Raptors season and he's having one of the worst two point shooting seasons in NBA history.
1: <laughs> that's wild, man. I, I, like I said, I had no idea it was that low. So that's obviously a, a good one to pick. I would have, I would have cheaped out and just gone with health. Um, like you said, it's probably a little bit of a cheap route, but I, I too think the Raptors can come out of the East and, and get all the way back to the finals again. I don't think they can do it without Kyle Lowry. And so maybe they'll just exercise an abundance of caution with him every time he's even nicked up this season, take a few games off, just sort of preserve him for the playoffs. Um, that would make sense to me because they, they certainly look better than I thought they would um, this season. And I have this thought in the summer – I I I wish I would have leaned a little bit harder into it. Um, but this team, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think how I want to put this. The Raptors were really good when they were led by Lowry and DeRozan for years, uh, and now they're led by Lowry and Siakam, and Siakam is just objectively a better player than DeRozan ever was, and so it makes sense that they would have been good this season i don't i don't know why in my mind i kind of expected more of a drop off than they've had because because siakam's just been phenomenal this season but yeah i think i think you've pinpointed a very big concern and then i think health is is the obvious one for sure
0: on to the philadelphia 76ers who guess what they're my team as well they are 11 and 6 fifth in the eastern conference as we record this my i think you could go for a biggest concern as they're spacing, they're actually almost shooting 36% from beyond the arc. But when you just look at the cast of shooters that they have, and even Al Horford is shooting, Al Horford's been, to me, fantastic this year, but he's shooting under 33% from deep. My concern, though, is Ben Simmons. I Mm. have always tried, I've made jokes about his three-point shot, because it's funny, but I've always been in the camp of, he's still a top 20, top 25 player, uh, even with the absence of that range. And that still could be his ceiling, but... This year, he's just not looked great on the offensive end. Uh, He's still taking 90% of his shots uh, inside of eight feet, and yet his free throw attempt rate has absolutely imploded. Uh, And you don't have the shooting around him uh, to really get by on that type of volume inside, particularly when he's not hitting the shots outside the restricted area at a high clip either. Uh, Zach Lowe pointed this out for ESPN that he's even having trouble getting to the dunker spot at times, where he's sort of just wandering and clogging things up for his teammates. He he does not seem to have as much of a control over his offense as before, and I don't know if that's uh, just a matter of teams are like kind of even sagging off of him more, and that setting screens for him is almost pointless because they're so easy to cover because everyone's gonna duck under them. I honestly just I I don't know, but to see you know his shot attempts decline without this huge drop in playing time, I think that it needs to end up being concerned, even with the talented cast around him. And something else that sticks out to me is that when Joel Embiid is off the court, the Sixers are winning those minutes with Horford and Simmons. But the Simmons alone, minutes overall, so the the Horford minutes are baked in there, there's still a net minus when Simmons plays without Embiid overall this year and that's Mm. been just this troubling trend that's you know it's reversed mid-season at different points but at this point when he's three years in and if you want to view him as that top 20 player those minutes they shouldn't be gimmies but you should be more confident that the Sixers are going to win the uh those stretches when Embiid isn't on the court and Simmons is maybe it's not as big of a deal in the playoffs because you're probably never going to see minutes where uh Simmons is playing without Horford and Embiid but at the same time it's just that's still weird to me and it's kind of where I get Uh, caught up there with it so they they need him this isn't about him expanding his range but he at least needs to get to the free throw line as often as he was over his first two seasons it'd be nice if he was shooting better than 58.3 percent from the charity stripe as well yeah so there are just the three point stuff aside you want to see him you know brett brown again tells espn's zach lowe that they've they have plays designed to get simmons a corner three but they don't run them because he's clearly not comfortable and so that's that's fine and you still want to see that development of range at the very least though you don't want to see this just overall drop off from him on the offensive end where he feels like less of a factor than he did as a rookie and sophomore
1: yeah I I think that's all very valid I think it's fair to say that he's stagnated for sure here in year three he's posting a lot of career lows and some of them would be expected I mean Career low and rebounding percentage. Now he's playing with Horford and Embiid, so it right. was only natural that he was going to get fewer rebounds. Um career low in box plus minus, he has a below average offensive box plus minus for the first time in his career. Um the the shooting is <laughs> that's a problem that's been analyzed to death. And so I don't think we need to spend much more time on it. And we're early enough in the season if he if he has like a two or three week hot stretch, maybe all this gets erased. Um to, to some extent anyway but I think the concern's always going to be there um that that he's the kind of guy that you can really game plan against in the playoffs and so I think I think that's a very real problem I think Joel Embiid is off to a little bit of a concerning start too I know there was talk about how he lost all this weight he was going to be chasing defensive player of the year and MVP and all this stuff this season and he's gotten off to a rough start too I mean he's shooting less than 50% from two, um, less than 33% from three. He just had that game where he went 0 for 11 and had zero points. Um, he's he's obviously an incredibly talented big man. Something just – and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but something just feels off about him this season. There's there's just not the same level of dominance. Um, and maybe that's a crazy thing to say too because it looks like his – Net rating swing is over 10 right now, so he's obviously still having a, a, a large positive impact on the Sixers, but it just doesn't feel like the same sort of inevitable dominance when he's on the floor as it has in years past. They definitely
0: seem less of this foregone conclusion that people had billed them as in yeah. the offseason.
1: And, you know, the East in general... is clearly better right now.
0: Right, and I think even the East in general is probably just more wide open where people... I, Boston's better than I expected. The Raptors are better mm-hmm. than everyone expected. Even I think I had them finishing fourth or fifth in the East when we did our predictions, and yet I'm still just floored that this is where they're at right now. The Sixers, though, have to be on that scale of, of the teams that we expected to be good in the East. They have to be the most disappointing. Thus far, anyway. I,
1: I think so. Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: The Orlando Magic. Guess guess which team that was. It was, it was mine. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Let's do it. They are clinging to the eighth seed in the East. As I mentioned before, they are six and 10. And my concern for them, this one is general, but don't worry. I have some just specific anecdotes, but their offense concerns the the living hell out of me right now. And it's made, <laughs> look, and it's, it's being exacerbated by the fact that now uh, Nikola Vucevic is, is going to miss at least the yeah. next four weeks with his right ankle injury. Orlando's offense drops by 15.9 points. Per one hundred possessions, when he is off the court, that's how that's yeah, how big of a swing that is. That's a ninety eighth percentile in terms of offensive rating swing in the league. It's more than double what he finished with last year. They were six point eight points per possessions per one hundred possessions worse when he was off the court last season. Uh, part of that is the guys that they were getting some lift from last year are just not doing it anymore, and they weren't good when Terrence Ross and DJ Augustine played without Vooch last year, but. Those two were at least shooting the ball well. Terrence Ross has played a little bit better of late, but he's shooting 28.7% from three. Isn't really hitting his pull-up jumpers like he was last year. They could trust him for some spot pick and roll duty last year too. That really hasn't worked out this season. Uh, DJ Augustine, he's shooting 33.3% from three and only 42% on twos. He's kind of faded after his career year. Aaron Gordon's at 28.3% from deep. They've been getting good shooting from good shooting from Evan Fournier and Jonathan Isaac. uh, But that's basically the extent of it. Those are the only two players on the roster, just bar none is I'm not even saying among rotation players. They're the only two players on the roster shooting better than 33.3% from deep right now. And that's just, that's a huge problem. And you, you look at what they're doing on offense. So they're, they're 30th, which is no surprise. And, Points scored per 100 possessions they're dead last in effective field goal percentage they don't turn the ball over because they're a steve clifford coach team but they're 18th in free throw attempt rate and that's something that needs to come up if you're not going to to hit your threes and i just don't know where the punch comes from i think you have to trade aaron gordon at this point to see if maybe you could get some help on the wings they still just really need that playmaking wing or even more of a floor general which is why it was baffling that they burned through their entire mid-level exception to sign Alfredo Aminu who isn't even playing 22 minutes a game right now for them. Yeah. And he's shooting 33.3% on twos and 25% from threes, uh, from three. So it's just, they, they seem like they're a mess. And while they've, again, when Vooch is on the floor, they're better, but this isn't like last year either, where he's just their ticket to, a really good offense their their offensive rating with him on the court is 110.7 which is doable but it's in the 63rd percentile that's not going to win them uh any awards and and look i get it their identity is supposed to be their defense and they're a solid eleven eleventh 11th in points allowed for 100 possessions but unless you're going to be top three or five in defense you definitely need to have better than the league worst o- offense on your hands and like i said I just don't know what their path is to f- fixing it beyond putting together a package around Aaron Gordon. And it, it, look, if this season gets out of hand, I I don't know what do, do you think about like moving other people? Is Is Terrence Ross even movable at this point on a four year fifty four million dollar deal with fifty million guaranteed? I honestly don't know. That's turning out to be one of the the worst contracts of the off season if this keeps yeah. up. So there's just a there's a lot going on here, and I don't know how their their offense gets
1: better. I uh I, I don't have much to add. I just kind of want to punctuate everything that you just said. Um I I just I kind of arbitrarily used Michael Carter Williams' number of field goal attempts as the baseline here. So there are 299 players in the NBA this season who've taken at least as many field goal attempts as Michael Carter Williams. Um here are here are where nine Orlando Magic players rank among 299 in effective field goal percentage. So we're counting both, both twos and threes here. Nikola Vucevic, their best offensive player, 207. Um, Aaron Gordon, 238. Uh, Terrence Ross, 253. DJ Augustine, 264. Mo Bamba, 287. Al Farouk Aminu, 294. And Michael Carter Williams, 298. Uh, (laughs) A lot of Orlando Magic Rotation players in the bottom hundred of effective field goal percentage this season. They they are just abysmal offensively. So that's <laughs> that's definitely the the right concern to pick with this team.
0: Like guess who's up next? The New York Knicks, and guess who has that team? That would be me also. And, yeah, <laughs> they but, are four and thirteen and just a sad sack <laughs> organization who felt the need to clarify that they didn't try to sign Richard Jefferson how, in the offseason season. concerned here. Oh, my concern my my real concern with them is I still don't see a direction. And if you look at this team, is there that that fortunes turning prospect on the roster? I think you can argue that RJ Barrett still kind of has that shine. I don't think Mitchell Robinson's ever had that shine where he's going to be a he really good though. player. Yeah, he's good, but he's I just don't think he turns or shifts your fortunes. And so the the lack of direction here is just—it's still maddening. And this is just—their organization is just a shit show from from top to bottom. My my actual concern, though, is I don't think Kevin Knox is playing enough. And David Fisdale's come out and saying he's really trying to make sure that Knox is performing well defensively so that he can earn his minutes. Like, my reaction to that is almost like, fuck you. Because this is, this is a guy who might be—who has to be one of your better prospects just because of where he was drafted— in 2018 and uh, to me look the metrics haven't supported this and I know he loses focus when he's off the ball but he's made some n- from some nice plays on, on the defensive end where I thought he was a borderline asset when I was writing about him uh, earlier in this even earlier in the season his help has gotten a little bit better I thought from last year and he short circuited a few opportunities around the basket I'm not saying he's good but I don't know how you justify dropping his minutes per game by 8 from his rookie to his sophomore season. Then he gets the start when RJ Barrett's out the other night and still uh, barely plays. And he really hasn't been playing in the second half either. I I don't understand it, particularly because of what he's done on offense. He's, he's upped his three point attempt rate and cleaned up his, his drives to nowhere. Uh, He's shooting well from three for the year. And while they're not leaning on his playmaking as often as they, they sort of hinted at when we watched him in summer league as a rookie, uh, he's making quicker, smarter decisions. His average possession time has been cut in roughly half of what it was from last year. And so when you're watching him, he's making the extra pass or deciding to attack the basket or shooting just quicker than he was as a rookie. And that progress to, to me, when you look at uh what you have on your roster, why isn't he playing? I don't need to see more of Marcus Morris. He's not your future. And th- there's just so much that's a, a mess with this team Right now, they're finally getting to a point where Frankie Lacina is a rotation staple, which is which is great. But we shouldn't be having this reoccurring conversation where not that they've gi- given up on players, but where they're they're not really giving their top prospects or guys that they have this draft equity in enough time to work through the motions. And I don't think that Knox's defensive effort has been bad enough to warrant the stretches that he's had, where he just barely plays in in the second half now, and and that's that's just mind-melting to me that this is the point we're still at with the Knicks is that there's just this complete lack of you can call it consistency but it's an investment in developing their own players across the board these guys go through they're just very streaky the Knicks when you're there's the player of this week or the player of of this month that's trendy to play and I I feel like they need to be more invested in letting these guys in this case Knox work through their functional warts
1: Completely agree. I I think if they wanted to have an identity, they could have one. Um I, I think there's some interesting positionless potential with Nelikina, Barrett, Knox, um, maybe even stretch it to Randall. I, I don't know how much I trust him on like <laughs> switching on to ones and twos, uh, but he's pretty athletic for a guy his size. And you're right, they just they just need to lean into this. I guess <laughs> My concern is the fact that, that David Fisdale just won't do that, and and they, they really need to. I'm with you 100%. There's no reason to be playing all these veterans that you signed this summer, Heavy Minutes. I mean, it's it's abundantly clear already that this is not a playoff team, and so it's time to steer uh, all the way into the re- rebuild. Yeah, and it, look, there, there are legitimate
0: qualms about Kevin Knox, but the Knicks suck on defense overall. They foul a ton, and so it's just... I don't know how much he's actually hurting you by being on the floor. You'd like to see him get to the rim more often, but again, with the decision-making he's made on, on the perimeter, I, don't, I just don't think. He's shooting 38.3% from three, and there's been a recent drop-off, but I would bet my life savings are close to it that, that that's a huge rhythm thing for him. And, you know, he's shooting poorly at the free-throw strike, but he's also, I found this interesting, in the 82nd percentile of the frequency with which he draws shooting fouls this is someone who can be an asset right now on offense and he is 20 years old. I don't, this isn't tough love. This is stupidity by just saying that he doesn't deserve to play.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm completely with you there. Um. All right. That brings me to me or that brings us to me. Finally. <laughs> what took yeah, you it, so long? God. <laughs> I'm a, i am I was, Really torn on this last night. I thought, do, should I just make up a concern? I, I don't know if I have a concern for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so here's, <laughs> I, I ended up just sort of going with, are, are we are we sure they have a Malcolm Brogdon replacement yet? Yeah, that That's the one I sort of tentatively put down, but I'm not terribly concerned about it. Um, their top 10 in minutes played this season, they don't have a single guy that's below replacement level um in in box post-minus the only wow. ones who are below average are Wesley Matthews uh Sterling Brown and Ersan Ilyasova and I would I would guess that Ilyasova will come up above average by the end of the season um Sterling Brown and Wesley Matthews those are two of the guys that you can maybe have pinpointed before the season as potential Malcolm Brogdon replacements so maybe there's a little bit of a worry there but Dante DiVincenzo has been good I think Pat Connaughton has generally been underrated for the last few years, and he's playing well again. Um, <laughs> this, this to me, is just a perfectly assembled team around Giannis Antetokounmpo, or as close to perfect as you can get, I suppose, because Antetokounmpo is uh, absurd. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you know what else we can say about him at this point, but if you surround him with a bunch of competent, above-average players, you're going to be really, really good. Uh, They, they played the jazz last night. And I think Utah had one of their smarter games of the season. They took over half their shots from three and they they shot almost 50% from three and they still lost because there's just nothing you can do with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, You surround him with a bunch of decent shooting and it's just going to be a very, very good team. Um, And even, even Antetokounmpo is shooting, I think his three point percentage is up to 30 on the season. And with everything else that he does well, I think that's probably good enough uh, from three. So this, this might sound like a love fest at this point, and maybe there is still some concern that you don't quite have that combo guard play that Brogdon provided and the, the ridiculous shooting that he provided. But I think they've done a really good job of cobbling together solid players to to mostly make up for that loss.
0: Antetokounmpo shooting like 33% on off the dribble threes. That's a pretty good clip. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Look, my thing for them would be Robin Lopez. Um, that signing always seemed a little bit curious to me, and he's been fine for them on the defensive end, but I feel like he just doesn't fit what they want their front court to do on offense. Uh, Their offensive rating right now drops by 8.4 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor. Uh, They're going to post-ups more. He's efficient relative to post-ups a point per possession, but he's turning the ball over on more than 21% of his post-ups and he's he has a 23 percent turnover rate on the season and for just a low usage guy in general that's way too high for me and so that's that would just be my concern for them is that if he's going to be your second most played big and we're just I'm not considering Giannis Antetokounmpo a a big here uh, you're going to need more from him and I I just don't know how much does it hurt you in the playoffs when you look at his uh three point shooting. Again, maybe it doesn't matter because he's playing under 15 minutes a game, but I, I he's been he, he's been offensively he's been bad.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if he's not even in the playoff rotation. Um right now he's 11th on the Bucks in total minutes played. Kyle Korver is 12th. I I wouldn't be surprised if if neither one of those guys uh plays a ton of time in the playoffs. They, they I think they can get by with the bulk of the center minutes going to Lopez and then you play some <laughs> This is, you know, air quotes, small ball five with Giannis. And I think Ilyasova can play some five, too. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot about
0: him. He's got to be there. He is their second most used big. That was my fault. I forgot about
1: that. They're so uh, deep. They've got 12 guys who've played over 200 minutes this season. Um, just just a really deep, really solid team. Um, they absolutely
0: I, should not have needed to have given a contract to Robin Lopez that included a player option. That's all. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's totally fair, and I think I think you're right to be concerned about him. It would certainly be nice if he was playing better than he is right now. The only two guys, if we extend that, because you know I said earlier the top ten guys, there's only three below average. If we extend it to top twelve, then Lopez and Corver are both below replacement level. But again, I just I'm not sure they're going to need those guys uh, when the playoffs come. They just they just have so many solid players on that team. I'm not sure I would pick them to win it all. Right now, I, I think that's still a really hard call. This NBA season, I think there's a bunch of teams that could win it. Um, but if I'm getting close to feeling comfortable to make a prediction, it would probably be probably be them or the Lakers. I don't. I, that's just where I'm at right now. The Clippers aren't in there for you. Oh, geez, I'd probably have to add the Clippers too. Um, if if Kawhi and, and PG are right, obviously, and then the thing that makes them so scary is they've got that ridiculous. Uh, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell combo off the bench, so they're probably in there too. It's it's impossible to to pick things this season. There's just so many good teams and players.
0: I'm <sighs> for, I just I think they shouldn't have used the, and I know the deal is structured the way it is because it's the room exception for Robin Lopez. I just don't know. I don't know that he was the player to to gamble that on.
1: Yeah, little goodwill for Brooke, I guess. I don't know. Miami Heat. My biggest concern for them. I, I was talking to somebody on Twitter last night. He was, we were saying it's kind of cool to see that the Heat have played so well with essentially a one-star construction. Um, and I guess depending on how you view Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap, and Kristaps uh, Porzingis, I would I would say that the Nuggets and the Mavericks are the only other good teams that that we might be able to say that about. Um, but Miami's just they've just been really really good. Uh, with Jimmy Butler as the lone star, and they're they're certainly that. So, my concern for them is what happens when Jimmy Butler is off the floor. Uh, so far this season, they are scoring 111.9 points per hundred possessions with him on the floor, and then when he's off, it drops all the way to 103. Um, and when you look up and down the roster, it's just it's hard to pinpoint one guy um, that we can be sure can carry the offense when Jimmy Butler's off the floor, maybe Goran Dragic was that guy a few years ago. I, I think he's certainly past his prime. You have hope for that maybe being Tyler Harrow down the line, maybe Kendrick Nunn down the line, but there's nobody nobody who just jumps off the page. And I think that's <laughs> that's just a byproduct of being a team with one star. They're in a lot of ways sort of like a lesser version of the Bucs. Um, you know, they, they have a star and a lot of solid players, um, but they're <laughs> – their star isn't quite good enough as, or, or isn't quite as good as Giannis, and their their solid guys aren't quite as solid as Milwaukee's. I hope that makes sense. Um, uh, I get it. Yeah, so so their my concern again with them is just what happens when Jimmy Butler leaves the floor.
0: That's fair. I don't. I mean, they they're also in this weird situation where it seems like Justice Winslow, when he's healthy, and Jimmy Butler can't play together because of how much Winslow needs the ball at this point yeah. too. And so that's something that's weird with them. Uh, that probably is their biggest concern. I'm interested to see whether their defense is for real because right now they're fifth, but opponents aren't really hitting their wide open threes, and the Heat give them up quite frequently. Uh, they don't necessarily have the the best shot profile on defense in the league, so I'm I'm just wondering if there's like a little early season mirage there. But the, the certainly the Jimmy Butlerless minutes, they had the hot start to the year, or they were at least fun without him when he missed those those three games. So, so maybe they, they figure it out, but uh, I'm very curious to see whether this, de- if they are a top seven, top 10 defense long-term.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh totally fair. And with that, we'll move on to the Indiana Pacers. Once again, it's me and I'm just going to read you a few numbers here. Um Ooh, did. We do the records for these past couple teams.
0: Miami is
1: 12 and oh, four and second in the East. As we do this,
0: um milwaukee is 14 and three and first in the east a quiet first in the east they just they've been they've been quietly dominant and then you're on the raptors 10 and 6 the raptors are as we uh wow the pacers 10 and 6 they are as we record this
1: so when the pacers have DeMontis sabonis and miles turner on the court they are being outscored 300 possessions so a minus 0.5 net rating when those two are both on when Sabonis is on the court and Miles Turner is off the court, which is actually a bigger sample, they are plus ten and a half points per one hundred possessions. So they're eleven points better um, when it is Sabonis without Turner. Uh, if you flip and you you do Turner on the floor without Sabonis, let it load for a second. They're minus eleven points per one hundred possessions, and that's the smallest sample of these three numbers I've thrown out. But long story short. I was, I think I was more optimistic about trying to play those two together than a lot of people were this summer. I was kind of curious to see if some of these jumbo front courts were going to work. It's to this point has not worked for Indiana. They've, they've just been significantly better both offensively and defensively when it is Sabonis on the floor without Turner. And it's still, it's, I think it's probably too early to give up on this, um, idea for Indiana. I think I'd probably try it for a little bit longer, especially since they're above 500. Um, they still haven't gotten Victor Oladipo back, which is is probably going to make a difference depending on how he looks when he gets back. Uh, but I, I think there's reason for concern for this pairing right now, especially since both of these guys are, are now um, on pretty decent sized contracts. I don't know if you I, I just don't know if Indiana can still be fully committed to playing both these guys at the same time and, and, and maybe even having both on the roster.
0: I agree. That's probably still their biggest concern. I'm willing to give them or at least miles Turner more leeway. He didn't miss eight games with the, the right ankle injury and the pace have just been wildly banged up overall. Jeremy lamb missed time. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon was banged up. Like you said, they don't have all the depot. I'm still not high on that pairing for the future though. And uh I would look at Miles Turner is the one that you would trade this season just because of uh, Sabonis being poison pill after his extension. But I I wouldn't start next year with both of them on the team
1: if I were the Pacers. Yeah, I'm not sure I would either. Which brings us to the Detroit Pistons, um, another central division team. I don't have quite as many fancy numbers for this
0: one. Here's a fancy number.
1: They're 6-11 Go as we record this. <laughs> Thank you. That's very fancy. Um was last season the uh, uh this is going to sound real hot takey but it was it the last gasp for Blake Griffin Holy who's shit. just dealt with
0: You don't like <laughs> I feel like he's still almost playing on 1.5 legs. We can't give that's... him time is it that dire? I'm no I'm I'm honestly oh, asking. He's not
1: been That's exactly what I'm that's that's what I'm pointing to. Um is he ever going to be on two legs again? <laughs> I mean, I can can we just kind of assume that the rest of his career he's going to be banged up? Um, All right, that's fair. You're right. He he needs more time to maybe get his legs under him. Right now he's playing 29.4 minutes a game. I, I actually don't think that's going to go up much higher. Um, but he's shooting 42% from the field, 24% from three. i I'm just – and last season he was ridiculous. I, I think it was maybe the best season of his career. Um, the the 3 point volume that he was taking and hitting was just ridiculous for a player of his size but everything has dropped off this season he's only played 5 games so there's plenty of time for this to turn around but i am concerned about his health you you mentioned that he's kind of on one and a half legs right now and i'm i'm not sure he will ever be <laughs> not on one and a half legs um and with the amount of money that they're paying Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond coming up into free agency this summer, I, I think they have to think about, and this is kind of what I just said about the Pacers, but you might have to think about splitting up those two big guys. And if there's a market for Blake Griffin, um, a trade market this season, maybe a desperate team like the Blazers thinks that, that you know, they just signed Carmelo Anthony, but, but maybe they'll still think that Blake Griffin could be their real answer at the four. Uh, I think you got to consider all possibilities. At this point, because if they tie themselves down <laughs> to max deals for Griffin and Drummond, I think they're just tying themselves into this same sort of mediocre state that they're in right now. And and right now they're a little bit worse than mediocre. Um, so there, there's some hard decisions to be made for the Pistons, too.
0: Yeah, that's that could I think that's easily their biggest concern is just break Blake Griffin's long-term health. I don't know that he's at the point where you'd have to attach something to him to move in, but at the same time, if he doesn't improve over the next few weeks, That's kind of the territory you're in, and that really changes the whole trajectory of your future, because then he's not readily movable either. I think you probably would have had a, if you wanted to, you probably would have been able to move him over the summer after the year that he had had. Uh, Something else to watch for them, though, is their their defense has been not good. They're 20th, and (laughs) they might be the worst transition defending team in the league. Um, they, they're they pretty good at defending the three-point line still. They at least don't give up a ton of looks from the corners or or even really from above the break, but they allow a lot of looks at the rim, and teams are just getting out in transition on command against them. Uh, this team is is just on shaky footing, and the fact that they're 6-11 while leading uh, the NBA in three-point accuracy, and yet they still don't even rank in the top half of the league in offensive efficiency, that's sort of a red flag in itself. For sure. We're back to me. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they are as we record this five and twelve. Some of the the luster is worn off of, off of their hottish or we should say, competent ish start. Yeah. My concern for them is it's weird because I, if anyone has the receipts, I wrote about how high I was on Colin Sexton right at the beginning of the season and how his shooting is for real. He his percentages have plummeted uh, over the past few weeks. He's now down yeah. to thirty one point eight percent shooting. From deep on the season, he is hitting still 44.4% of his catch and shoot trays, uh, but just 18.8% of his pull up triples. And then he has an effective field goal percentage on pull up jumpers overall of 36.9. And this is a huge problem because if he's not going to be that floor spacer or that high end shot maker, it really complicates how you build out the rest of this team. Can he still play with? with Darius Garland. I tend to think that Sexton might be a better on-ball defender than a lot of people give him credit for, but you're giving up a ton of size no matter what. And so if he's not making his shots uh, from the perimeter, uh, it's a real issue, and he's not making up for that by getting to the line a ton. He doesn't get to the rim as often. There have been moments where it looks like he can really get through the teeth of defenses and, and reach the rim, and the mechanics on his jumper, at least when he's getting them off, even off the dribble, they look okay. A lot of them seem like they're they're falling short but if he's just not going to be this high volume finisher at the rim or someone who can get to the free throw line consistently or someone who can run your offense as the primary playmaker that his three point jumper isn't falling or that he's not shooting well from the perimeter overall is is just a huge issue uh in the long term for them
1: I'm I uh I think that's all <laughs> true and fair I'm continue to be kind of amazed by his passing numbers too he's he's 6 foot 1 averaged 3 assists a game last season and now he's down to 2.1. Um I I maybe he's not a true point guard and that's fine. There's there's a lot more scoring guards than there were, you know, in in you know, the good old days as the traditionalists like to put it. But you would still like your guards to average more than 2 assists a game. Um that in addition to the the inefficient scoring. I I think there are very real concerns there for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Alrighty, that takes us to the Chicago Bulls. This is another one where I'm kind of firing from the hip. I don't have a ton of numbers here. Except um, that they're
0: 6-12 and 12 as we record
1: this. <laughs> I'm glad you've caught me on that twice now. Um, I I just went with Jim Boylan <laughs> as my concern for the Chicago Bulls. And I guess maybe by extension, the GARPAC's front office, who hired Jim Boylan and really didn't seem to do a ton of legwork. And maybe that's not fair, but... Um, no, that's perfectly fair. (laughs) Just defaulting to Jim Boylan was an odd choice to me at the time. And it remains odd. Now I liked a lot of the moves the front office made this summer. I was a lot higher on the bulls coming into the season than I am now. I think when you look at the top, you know, seven or eight players on this team, you can see the outline of a, a playoff contender. Um, but they've, they've just, wildly underachieved. Lori Markkinen shooting 28% from three. uh, uh, Sorry, Zach Levine was below average there until he went ballistic in that game and hit 13 of 17 from three. Wendell Carter shooting 17% from three. Um, There's a lot of individual small concerns. Um, But the biggest thing is I, I just don't know and I know a lot of people are still in on this. I just don't know if like the hard nosed old school coaching style works in the NBA anymore. I, I, th- I think a lot of these guys need a little bit more freedom. Um, and maybe, maybe I sound like a softie at this point, but, and, and maybe there's a balance between the two approaches that he just hasn't found. But philosophically the, the Jim Boylan style is just not working <laughs> With the Chicago Bulls. I, I still look at this roster today and think this team should be a lot better than they are. There's a lot of talent here and there's a lot of talent that fits like the Satoransky Levine backcourt combo. That makes sense to me. Um, a, a guy who's at point guard and doesn't need a ton of volume um, alongside Levine I, you and know, he should certainly be better than he has been. Wendell Carter, I think, has a lot of talent. Otto Porter when he's healthy. Thaddeus Young. I mean there's there's just a lot of good solid players here. Um and and so maybe it's not fair to throw it all on Boylan, but that's that's my concern is Jim Boylan.
0: I will say I agree with everything you said. If they're not going to empower Wendell Carter Jr. to shoot more, I really hope they trade him to a team that will.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason for him to just be like a traditional big guy. Um yeah, I would agree with that.
0: We're moving on to the Charlotte Hornets. They are also 6-12 and 12 as we record this. My concern for them might ring a little hollow because it's wing defense, and I'm not sure who expected the Hornets to be that good on defense anyway, but they're giving up the third most proportion of shots as wide open threes as any team in the league. They're 27th in defense overall. They're, they're half-court defense isn't great. Uh, the fact that Dwayne Bacon's been—I know he was dealing with an injury—but the fact that he's been so bad offensively um, that they really haven't been able to have him on the floor. He was key to what they need to be doing defensively. That's just something that they're going to have to to monitor. And they're kind of in this: hey, we'll play Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier together stretch. Which is look, offensively, it's it's going to work. And Devonte Graham has been spectacular. Terry Rozier's been better than I expected, but not as good as as Devonte Graham. I don't know how they just really solve it uh they're they're, they're certainly not going to do it on the roster you you know it's pj washington is not someone who should be defending wings uh ditto for miles bridges he's pretty switchable but not someone who should be uh guarding wings regularly how much do you have invested in nicholas batum at this point who might be healthy again we we don't we don't really know i am just curious to see I, it's not a team that should make a trade um but it's going to be something that they'll have to look to towards the draft and they might not even have that high of a draft pick unless they continue They're they're a fun team their point differential is terrible but they've won some games that they probably shouldn't have and so if they don't have this high pick how you go about addressing the the wing defense they'll they'll have tab space but i don't know that if you max out a brandon Ingram and in restricted free agency and actually get him from the pelicans that that's going to help your your defense really a ton and even michael k gilchrist is just you know not he's appeared in two games this year yeah so I, their, their, their perimeter defense is just going to be an issue, and I, I don't think that this is a team that's going to get better as the year wears on. There.
1: Shout out to the Martin Twins. They're going to save them. I mean, look, the fact that they they're making <laughs> they're it
0: so that we have to learn Cody Martin's name is great, but he's just not going <laughs> to fix your he's not going to fix your perimeter defense either. No,
1: no he's not. <laughs> on to the Nets.
0: Oh, that's me too. Excuse me. Um, as we record this, the Brooklyn Nets are nine and eight. I think you could still say they're disappointing, even though they've been dealing with a ton of injuries themselves. Uh, their concern for me is, is also their defense, uh, their half court defense ranks 21st in efficiency. I know they're small at the four, but I didn't anticipate them being this bad of a defensive rebounding team. Uh, they've done a pretty good job overall of keeping opponents out of transition, but not so much when DeAndre Jordan is on the floor. And they are getting absolutely blasted when DeAndre Jordan is on the floor, too. And if you look at their, <laughs> if you look at their defensive shot profile, it's basically what you want from a team. they're They're seventh in opponent attempt frequency around the rim and then sixth in three point frequency. So they're they're forcing, um, excuse me, they're, they're forcing a good amount of looks from the mid-range. So uh, it, th- that their defense is so bad is, I think it's a little bit surprising because they were almost, they. I wouldn't say they were a great defensive team last year, but they were better. Uh, They were closer to league average than a lot of people would have predicted. And to see this big of, of a downswing for them, uh, that's going to be problematic. And this is another team where I don't necessarily know how you address it as the season goes on because the players that are injured they're not necessarily helping your defense. Maybe Karis LeVert a little bit in terms of optionality, but how much is Wilson Chandler going to hurt coming off the suspension? You signed him on Shumpert now, but is he even going to be on the roster when Wilson Chandler comes back from suspension? So they do have some contracts that they could look to move in, in a trade if there's a defensive specialist that becomes available. I don't know who that, you know, you're probably looking for a 3-4 defender. I don't know who that, that guy is or, or what player it is that might become available there.
1: Uh, Shout out to another team playing better without Kyrie Irving, right?
0: Oh, man. Spencer Dinwiddie's been out of his mind during that stretch, too.
1: Yeah. Shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I've got the Boston Celtics. My concern for them is the offense generally. Um, Up through Gordon Hayward's last game that he played. um, So I think this does include the one where he broke, broke his hand and just didn't play the whole game. They were scoring 110.4 points per 100 possessions, which was good for the fourth best offense in the league. In all the games since then, uh, so this is uh, since November 11th, um, they're scoring 107.9 points per 100 possessions, um, which may not sound like a huge drop off. It's about two and a half points. um, But that's 21st in the league over that stretch offensively. And then the league average effective field goal percentage is 52.3 right now. Uh, Jalen Brown is at 53.3, so he's one point above average. Kemba Walker is at 50.2, so two points below average. Marcus Smart is at 50. Um, Daniel Tice is at 47.9. Jason Tatum is at Um, 46.9. They have a lot of guys who just aren't shooting terribly well right now. And I think Gordon Hayward, excuse the cliche was, he was like a really good glue guy for them. He wasn't taking a ton of shots, um, just, (laughs) just taking good shots and hitting them. And he was also doing a lot of facilitating for them, especially for that unit that included, uh, Tatum Brown and Walker. Um, and I, I think, you know, maybe this is all alleviated when he gets back and, and everything sort of falls back into place but I I would be a little bit concerned about the inefficiency of some of their top scorers right now.
0: Yeah, that's, that's certainly fair. And they're, they're still not a team that gets to the line an awful lot. And so when you're dealing with those, you know, you're talking about their low true shooting percentages, a way to kind of offset that is if they're hitting their free throws and and actually taking free throws and just, they're still not a team that's going to take a a huge number of those. And that's where, you know, Gordon Hayward's not going to address that either. I think he's he was in the, outside the top 10 of their free throw attempt rate on the season. So, But when you look at their perimeter scores, um, not one of them ranks in the top. Let's include Kemba in there. We'll call him a perimeter score. He's a point guard. Not one of their perimeter scores ranks in the, the top five of free throw attempt rate on this team. Brad Wanamaker is the closest they come. He's second, but he's played under
1: 275 minutes. That brings us to the Atlanta Hawks. Final team for the Eastern Conference. I'm going to go back to this defensive Raptor rating.
0: Oh, really a lot of quick. People... Boston, two, 12 and 4 as we record this. And the Hawks are 4 and 13 as we record this.
1: Thank you, sir. Um, a lot of people have some qualms with Raptor, and I think they're totally fair. Um, I, I like what 538 is trying to do here, just putting a ton of information into this number. And if you look at the bottom and the top of some of these uh, numbers, a lot of it makes sense. Um, you know, especially the bottom defenders and Trey young right now is a bottom 25 individual defender by this number. And my, my concern generally for them, this is another team that it's kind of hard to pick one because I don't, I don't think we should expect a ton from these young teams, uh, this season. And that's where I'm at with the Hawks. But if I kind of look forward into the future, I'm wondering if you can field a, a decent defense, uh with Trey Young on your team. Steve Nash was always a minus defensively and and the Suns were obviously still a net plus when he was on the floor for years and years. And so I think I think that's the ceiling for Trey Young. But right now they are just a mess defensively, uh, whenever he's on the floor. They need DeAndre Hunter to pop as a defender. I think John Collins needs to be better as a defender. Um They've got to find three or four guys that they can surround him with that are going to be really, really good on that end to become, a, I think, a, a solid NBA team because he's obviously he's on track to make multiple All-Star games based on his offense. Um, he, he's just an, an amazing offensive player already. I mean, the, the pull-up threes from the logo and that kind of stuff that he can do, the vision, um, the Nash dribbling that he's already figured out, he, he's just an incredible offensive player. I think long-term, you're, you're going to have to build teams that make up for a, a serious deficiency on the other end. Um, and he could he could be a real hard worker on defense. I think there were a lot of years when Nash was that way, but you're just going to be at a disadvantage when you're that size um, in a ton of matchups. That, that's just the way it is in the NBA. So my concern from that for them is not necessarily one that's, that's just this season. It's more of a forward-looking thing, but I'm, I'm just worried about their long-term prospects on defense.
0: Yeah, and it's not even to me just a Trey Young issue because he's not the reason they rank thirtieth in defensive rebounding rate or thirtieth in, yep. uh, free, you know, free throw attempt rate of their opponents. Like it's not just him, but it, it is exponentially harder to build a league average or better defense around someone like him. And I think that DeAndre Hunter point is salient. They really need him to pop. But I don't. After that, I don't know who you look at and say that guy's going to be a strong defensive prospect. Maybe cam reddish but is his offense going to be playable enough on a consistent basis for that to matter
1: i was tempted to pick reddish (laughs) as my concern um you know for for a while there there was people who were saying well we can't we can't make a call on the Doncic trey young trade until we see how that other draft pick turns out and it's way too early to give up on cam reddish but this is one of the worst 15 game starts in the history of the NBA, um, you know, regardless if of experience. If he keeps up though.
0: at this rate, I missed on him in a big,
1: big, 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 big way. He, Yeah, he just, he looks awful. Um, you know, a lot of people also said, like, there's, there's no way he's going to shoot worse in the NBA than he did in college. And that's what he's doing right now. 29% from the field and 21% from three. Um, there's, again, there's still time for him to figure it out. And maybe he is the guy who can be that really good wing defender for them but there's there is a long long way to go for him um that wraps us up uh, after uh 15 western conference teams last week and 15 eastern conference teams today we have now given you these grave concerns for each of the 30 teams uh, in the nba if you have other concerns or you think we're uh being a little too nitpicky on some of ours You can find us on Twitter. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox, the podcast network at blue wire pods. And like Dan said at the top, he, he does a lot of the tweets for that. So it will be worth following. Um, As always, we encourage you to rate review and subscribe to the podcast. And again, as Dan mentioned, we're going to do a mailbag, I believe where, we solicit the questions from uh, Apple Podcasts reviews in, in an effort to uh, drum up our own numbers, a little bit of shameless promotion from us. Uh, <laughs> but until then, and until next time, we leave you with a shout out to Kyle Anderson and Bino Udry, a podcast closing that has been memorialized in t-shirt form. If you go to bluewirepods.com and click on shop. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran,